This is Adias of Brussels. Today we've got another interview for you, uh, an economist this time. Uh, Gerin uh, Meyerink is from the CPB, which is the Netherlands Bureau for Economic Policy Analysis. And uh, we, uh, as you'll hear, uh, met uh, through uh, an event I organised in London where she was talking about the impact of Brexit on the Netherlands. We've been uh, talking on Skype and uh, some really useful ways of thinking about the impact and the exposure, not just of the UK, but also of other countries to this process. Uh, Again, uh, it's a Skype-based interview, so uh, I hope that the levels work for you. Uh, But you can find uh, more about uh, her work at uh, www.cpb.nl and uh, you can find uh, lots of work there about uh, Brexit which is uh, really helpful and gives a different take. And just, you know, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, the, the worlds of uh, Dutch uh, NGOs, uh, what kind of position does it play? I mean, you've got yeah. analogous uh, organisations. Uh, we're a government uh, organization, okay. but fiercely independent. <laughs> so we're part of the Ministry of Economic Affairs. Uh, we get uh, most of the funding from uh, uh, the ministry, but um, our position is very independent. So we can do and say uh, uh, what we want. And you do. And and we do, yes. <laughs> um, we have some legal tasks. So uh, we do forecasts four times a year, and one of them uh, is uh, 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 the input for the government's budget. Um, uh, we also um, calculate if if there are elections um, and parties have their party program. We calculate the economic effects of those. Um, I think we're unique in uh, in the world in that sense, um, and this is voluntary. Parties do not uh, are not required to uh, submit their programs, um, and we evaluate government policies uh, ex ante or ex post, um, and we do yeah, various research amongst others on the Brexit <laughs> okay. and the effects uh, on the Netherlands. So really, trying to act as a sort of honest. Party, you know, an impartial party yeah. to inform debate and make sure that people have a, 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 yeah, a confident exactly. baseline for, for discussions. Yeah. Uh, as you say, uh, the reason we're talking is that you came and, and spoke at an event I organised uh, a few weeks ago in London, getting uh, people like yourself from uh, different European countries to come and talk about their analysis of the impact uh, of Brexit, which is what we're going to, to talk about. Um, Maybe it's it, where does the Dutch interest in Brexit come from? Is it, uh, and clearly your focus is economic, but is yeah. your general impression of the Dutch debate, is it driven primarily by economics or is it uh, also a lot of politics too? There's a lot of politics uh, as well. Uh, I mean, we're neighboring countries, so yeah, uh, the UK is, is, is uh, close uh, towards. Um, in a real sense, uh, but also I think uh, politics-wise in the European Union, uh, the UK has always been a kind of ally. Uh, 
the Dutch tend to be more liberal uh, minded and uh, uh, we often found uh, li uh, uh, an ally in the UK. Um, uh, Dutch don't like over-regulation, for instance, so we tend to be more uh, 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 on the liberal side. And, and I think we're going to lose an important ally. And I've, I've seen just after the Brexit that a lot of other small liberal countries like Denmark, for instance, came to the Netherlands and said, well, we need to collaborate more closely together because, uh, yeah, uh, um, the other countries, for instance, Germany and, and France are s such large blocks and, and have so much power that, um, yeah, the, 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 the power dynamics will, will shift. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's an important non-economic point as well. I'm going to come back to sort of thinking about the the future implication of that sort of sort of political economy uh, aspect, mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, I, I guess it's also useful to get from you a, a sense of the particular economic interaction mm -hmm. between the UK and uh, the Netherlands, because you, you've talked about being a neighbouring country, but the Netherlands has some specificities that uh, particularly matter in terms of uh, thinking about uh, Rotterdam uh, and its uh, its impact. Um, could you just kind of explain that for someone who doesn't understand economics like me? Rotterdam is, I think, the second largest port in the world, so uh, a lot of world trade um, uh, arrives in Rotterdam and then is spread out um, throughout Europe, but also to the UK. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, so Rotterdam has a really important economic function. Um, uh, so a lot of goods are cleared in Rotterdam and then they go uh, to other European countries that are in the EU, uh, sort of, um, yeah, without any friction. Uh, but when the UK leaves, then um, uh, everything that will be cleared in Rotterdam uh, cannot automatically then go to the UK without any frictions because there's another border. So either the UK needs to clear those uh, goods. Um, or there'll be extra procedures. Um, and I've talked to people in Rotterdam and they actually fear losing uh, business uh, uh, because uh, uh, the, um, uh, a lot of goods will then go directly to the UK. Uh, but Rotterdam is, of course, being such a big port, very specialized. It's got its own uh, uh, veterinarians, uh, um, all kinds of specialists who can check. Uh, I think that's uh, Boris Johnson's have been um, uh, uh, talking about SPS, so <laughs> sanitary and phytosanitary standards. Yeah. So you need to check whether the animals are healthy or, or plants are, are healthy that you are uh, importing. And the, the EU has very strict uh, standards. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's something the UK needs to uh, be taking on in the, in the future. So basically, because Rotterdam does that that checking, the UK hasn't had to do that for things that then come from Rotterdam because they yeah. they become a, a one stop shop for for clearing. So it has implications for UK ports, 
but also for for Rotterdam that if yeah. ships go directly to someone like Felixstowe, uh, mm-hmm. then that's trade that the that Rotterdam doesn't have. Okay, um, and in, so Rotterdam is the second largest port in the world. And how big, how big, how I mean, just how consequential is that? You know, in terms of the Dutch economy and Dutch trade. I mean, is is Rotterdam a, a really big part of the Dutch economy, or or is it um, implicated in large parts of the Dutch economy? Uh, it's not going to break the economy. <laughs> okay. And and um, it's uh, it has a lot of uh, sort of spin-off activities. For instance, one of the most important uh, economic uh, components uh, uh, of the Dutch economy is transport, and that's of course linked also to Rotterdam. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And I I I think that will. Um, yeah, Rotterdam is not the, the largest factor. It's it's um, um, it's going to be difficult. Or Rotterdam, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, port sees it as a problem for the Dutch economy as a whole. It's not a huge problem. Okay. Now, the just thinking about the public debate about Brexit, the advantage of Rotterdam is you can fly a helicopter over Rotterdam uh, airport, and you can have nice pictures and say this is a thing and you know this is the material impact and you know if we have yeah. queues of lorries then we've got queues of lorries and that's nice visuals yeah. but uh from the work you've been doing is that the biggest consequence of brexit on on the dutch economy uh, on the european economy more broadly um, uh, n- no but it, the largest um, uh, impact will be trade so it's it's uh, and 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 that's not just uh, the the port of Rotterdam. That's that's much bigger. Um, so uh, we've calculated that the trade effects, so the reduced trade from uh, 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 the EU to uh, to the UK, will be uh, the biggest negative uh, impact. Um, there are several impacts, other impacts, for instance, on the financial sector or. Uh, yeah, but, but they really are a lot smaller than, than, than the trade. Um, the trade aspect is that um, uh, the trade costs consists of, um, yeah, it, it sort of depends on what happens after Brexit. Uh, so what kind of trade deal the UK will, uh, will negotiate with the EU. Mm-hmm. If that's um, a kind of customs union where you still have well, more or less frictionless trade uh, between the UK and Europe, then the cost will be less than a really what they call a hard Brexit, where you have uh, no trade deal, and then uh, the UK relies on this uh, sort of the rules that are set by the uh, World Trade Organization. That's the WTO scenario. Okay. In that last scenario, it means there are a lot of tariffs that need to be paid between the EU and, uh, and the UK. And then, of course, the, the, the frictions will, will increase and there will be a lot of trade diversion because it becomes uh, 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 much more expensive to trade between the UK and, and the EU. Okay. So in terms of the, the modelling you've been doing, mm-hmm. uh, so you're looking at 
a soft and a hard scenario only mm -hmm. or, yeah. or other scenarios yeah. as well so just mainly those two and, yeah. and in yeah. terms of time frames you're looking at a, a medium term effect or um sort of yeah medium to long-term effects um, we try to model what happens when um uh, all all the markets and and everything is in equilibrium again and and that that just takes time because you have second round effects uh for instance uh just to try and uh, find an example if uh there's a sector that um, uh, exports a lot to the UK, and now suddenly there are very high tariffs. Then the sector uh, will lose money mm -hmm. at first uh, because it it uh, uh, it will export less to the UK. But then it'll start trying to find other uh, uh, partners. So it it sells its products, for instance, more to France or 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 to Germany or maybe even to China. So then you see uh, shifting trade patterns, um, and this has repercussions for, for instance, labor market because there will be fewer employees, and then these employees will find work in another sector. So you see various shifts throughout the economy because of uh, Brexit. So we calculate what happens when uh, all these shifts have uh, occurred and everything is uh, sort of stable again. Okay. So that takes clearly. That takes which, several years. Yeah. Okay, so so long term in this context means. Um, uh, two thousand thirty. Okay, so a, a decade yeah. or more. Okay, yeah. gosh, it's already nearly twenty twenty. Yes, I'm now thinking about well, yeah. <laughs> the passage of time, but that's a that's my middle age, I think, rather than anything else. Um, so, uh, how do you go about trying to capture these? uh effects what what sort of uh factors are you looking at variables data to to help give uh listeners a sense of you know what it is that y you think matters in in evaluating this yeah um yeah i i forgot to mention that we also uh, uh assume that after uh brexit uh the UK and the EU would be negotiating a trade deal, and that would take time as well. So yeah. um, that even takes—that's why it, it takes even longer. Um, and um, past, based on past experience, trade deals take a lot of time. Uh, it takes several years to uh, to to negotiate. And um, yeah. So anyway, um, what do we take into account? Uh, first of all, the the trade flows, of course, uh, um, and we have uh, a model with a huge database uh, behind it with all kinds of input-output relationships. So that's trade, but also uh, per sector. We have 52 sectors in there. Uh, what they use as inputs and what they produce as outputs. Um, we have a labor market um, that is also uh, uh, connected to these sectors, so how many people work in various sectors. Um, and then uh, attached to that, because it's a real trade model, we have uh, uh, all the tariffs uh, per product uh, um, that would apply in uh, the WTO scenario. Uh, because some products have really high tariffs, for instance, agricultural products, 
and some products have almost zero or zero like uh, petrol or oil products yeah um so then we model okay what if uh, the base scenario is just business as usual and then what if uh, these uh, products all have uh, uh, tariffs when you export them to the UK or when the UK exports to to the EU, then uh, um, how expensive do these products become? Uh, and if they are uh, uh, really expensive, then the UK will tend to buy uh, uh, fewer of those products and vice versa. So products from the UK that become very expensive because of the tariffs will no longer be imported and uh, um, other uh, products that are cheaper, for instance, if France produces those products but uh, slightly cheaper, then we will start, exp then for instance, the Netherlands will start uh, importing those products. So the, the, the model uh, uh, sort of calculates all those effects. Then there's another effect, uh, which is not tariffs, but it's the um, uh, uh, non-tariff barriers. And then we come back to those SPSs again, the, the sanitary and phytosanitary standards. Because a lot of products um, need to be produced in a certain way. Uh, and especially EU has, has very high standards. So the, the, the if you produce something, it shouldn't be toxic. Uh, um, it's uh, there are more and more uh, sort of animal welfare uh, requirements, environmental standards, etc. Um, and we assumed that if the UK would leave Europe, and and that's what they've been uh, wanting to do, uh, because then they can set their own rules and regulations, and they are no longer dependent on what the EU uh, sets as standards. Yeah. So then the EU and, and the UK would diverge. But that will make trade uh, uh, difficult as well, because uh, if uh, the UK produces something that does not meet the EU standards, then uh, it will be difficult to, to import, import them. Uh, yeah, a, a very nice example chicken, which have become a symbol of, of these uh, sort of non-tariff barriers that we don't want chlorinated chickens, but in the US, yeah, uh, that's very, uh, that's very normal uh, to, to have chlorinated. So they are cleaned by using a, a, a chlorine. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a nice example of one of these barriers. So, so just to be clear, where you get regulatory divergence is the assumption that you, you're just making an assumption that you then have an additional cost because of having to check compliance, or are you making an assumption that that good ah. is not able to enter at all because it doesn't comply yeah. with the EU standards? Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, both. So you have the administrative paperwork that, that um, uh, is done at the border to check uh, all the sort of uh, all the requirements and the labeling etc so that uh, adds additional costs and and they kick in uh, almost immediately um, and that's one of the reasons for the long queues that are expected after yeah. a brexit because uh, all that paperwork uh, needs to be checked 
Um, the second one that uh, uh, the, the the EU will no longer import products that do not uh, meet EU standards. Uh, we assume that this will uh, not kick in immediately because most producers in the UK now sort of produce according to EU standards, but the divergence will sort of um, be, be yeah, uh, potentially growing over time. Yeah, growing over time. Yeah. I, that, yeah, that raises another question. I mean, it's maybe beyond what you can say, but one of the things about the UK economy is that already it is one of the most lightly regulated or deregulated mm-hmm. yeah. economies. So, yeah. how much scope is there for further deregulation? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, the UK is now part of the EU, so they do, even if it's very lightly regulated, they do uh, now produce according to EU rules. So, yeah, yeah uh, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to think about how much the EU or the, the UK will, will deviate, because I think most of the EU rules are quite sort of um, uh, no-brainers, like no one wants poison in its food, you know, and, and animal welfare is important. <laughs> you and your crazy European ideas. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because, you know, and, and a lot of EU rules have been sort of um, uh, demonized, like, oh, uh, only straight bananas are allowed or curved bananas, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, yeah um, but yeah, I, I, I do think there will be some, uh, some deviation and, and, and especially when uh, the UK enters into a trade deal with the US, for instance, and starts importing chlorinated chickens. Well, the EU still doesn't want chlorinated chickens, so yeah. And I suppose this is a, a helpful point for, for listeners is that it, a free trade agreement with another a third country and the UK would imply some uh, alignment of regulations between yes. the UK and that third country. So yes. it's not that the UK exactly. starts producing chlorinated chicken, it's that chlorinated chicken yeah. might yeah. now be exactly. able to be imported into the UK um, and as such it could then be imported into the EU yeah. where previously it couldn't because EU rules wouldn't allow it to be. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So whatever rules you're following, you're following some rules uh, rather yeah, than just yeah. no rules yeah. at all. You can be free completely, but then you don't have any trade deals, so. <laughs> okay, swings and roundabouts. Uh, again, you cannot have your cake and eat it. <laughs> no, no. We, we stopped talking about cake so much these days uh, here in the UK, but still, there's very much a sense that uh, you can have everything and uh, not pay any of the costs. So we've got, he paints a picture for us of sort of uh, a sectoral model of the economy, uh, the kind of assumptions behind it. What does, uh, what do the different kinds of Brexit look like for the Dutch economy in terms of sectoral impact? Where are the the hardest hit uh, or the most affected areas, let's put it, not say hit, but most affected areas. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is it's, it's always a combination of, of course, uh, what are the major 
products that uh, are traded between the countries. Mm. Uh, the biggest one actually is uh, petrol and, and oil. Um, uh, but uh, then the second part is how high are the tariffs or, or the non-tariff barriers. And for petrol and oil, those are zero. So the impacts of a Brexit on petrol and oil will be quite small, actually. So it's always a combination of a sector uh, uh, that trades uh, uh, a lot with the with the UK plus uh, um, uh, tariffs that are quite high or non-tariff uh, measures that are quite high. And then we come um, on the food industry uh, will be hit um, and also chemical products. Um, and that includes uh, uh, medicines also. So I, I, I think that's uh, those are the two biggest ones. And what, what kind of size of impact would that be? Are we talking a, a, a collapse of those sectors, a major disruption, a bump in the road, to use another yeah. term from the Rish yeah. debate? Yeah. Um, uh, not the collapse, uh, uh, but sort of in, in, in between. It's not a bump in the road for those sectors. They will be... They will really take a hit. Um, we didn't uh, produce any any hard numbers. Uh, um, we did that for political reasons. Um, uh, yeah, because numbers tend to start living their own life, so mm -hmm. <laughs> we just colored them <laughs> dark red and, uh, and, and and very light red. Um, and um, especially the the agricultural sector uh, is 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 very worried uh, because that's a sector that is already under pressure. Also, um, uh, farmers, um, um, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, um, they are already lean and mean. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, they they are very worried about so, Brexit. Okay, so what? What are the wider pressures of, of Dutch agriculture? I've been seeing uh, protests with seemingly every tractor in the Netherlands out yeah, on, on the motorway yeah. uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, that was about uh, uh, nitrogen emissions, if I remember. Yeah, but that's that's for them the, the last sort of uh, straw that broke the camel's back because they've been under pressure for a long time uh, with lots of regulations. Uh, environmental regulations, um, especially, the they often produce. They get a price for the products that are under uh, the the cost of producing. Um, yeah, the the whole system is, uh, is 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 putting them under pressure. And now with the nitrogen emissions, so it's like, well, this is the last straw. And also the the sort of um, image building of farmers that they are uh, uh, sort of uh, not good to their animals. They, they pollute the environment, so they are, they're really the, the bad guys. And, and mm. they, they said, yeah, this is, this is not fair. So, um, yeah. So it's quite, a, I, yeah, mm -hmm. it's quite a distinction from the, the British view of the farmers, sort of this uh, guardian of the landscape yeah. and this kind of pastoral yeah. ideal. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I get the impression in the Netherlands it's much more industrial yeah, uh, approach it's a much yeah, lot of uh, intensive market gardening uh, well I mean I mean Holland is
is, uh, I think, the second largest uh, exporter of agricultural products. Well, if you see how the, the size of the Netherlands, it's tiny, and yeah. still being able to uh, export so many agricultural products. It's, it's very high-tech, especially the, the sort of um, hot, hot houses, uh, the horticultural. I mean, there's no soil even. It's, it's all uh, highly technical, uh, which is great because I think that's also the future for agriculture and it's highly productive. I mean, the UK, uh, yeah, they have really nice landscapes, but the, the agriculture is not very productive. No. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, 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 that's why, coming back to Brexit, I think, well, for instance, the, the ban of Russia uh, um, after um, the, the Crimea uh, sort of, um, yeah, invasion, there were sanctions against uh, Russia, and then Russia um, uh, um, had sanctions uh, for agricultural produce from the Netherlands, and that still hurts uh, several farmers. So for Dutch farmers, uh, uh, um, yeah, trade uh, sort of, um, disruptions are, are not good news. And generally, the, the, the Dutch economy is very open, yeah. so that, that, yeah. that, that trade aspect yeah. is, is, is particularly important exactly. to them. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, chemical products, uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah. How does that play out within a wider context of the sector? Um, well, it's, that's a completely different sector because they, they, you have quite large corporations that have quite a lot of money. Um, I, I didn't hear much from them, uh, didn't read uh, much in the news. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when you talk to um, uh, businessmen and entrepreneurs, uh, they often say, well, yeah, Brexit is, is, is yeah, not good news, uh, but we will find other markets, we will find other opportunities. Um, so, yeah, they, well, usually entrepreneurs are optimistic because... Uh, <laughs> it's in their nature, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you shouldn't start uh, a business, but um, yeah, they, they seem uh, a little more relaxed. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that's justified? Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of find it refreshing <laughs> because you know, there's been a lot of doom and gloom and, oh, Brexit is the end of the world. Uh, so to talk to people who say, well, yes, we're going to take a hit and it's going to be tough, but yeah, uh, uh, there are other, uh, we see other, we will find other possibilities. It's, it's refreshing. Um, um, but of course, yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's, um, how do you say that? I mean, the, not to belittle the effects of, of, of Brexit, it's, it's, it's going to be really tough and especially a no deal Brexit. Um, it's, it's funny, I mean, we're now talking about trade deals and, and there's been a lot of confusion or mixing of the no deal. Yeah. So you have a no deal with this, which is a withdrawal deal, uh, Brexit, and you have a no deal trade deal, Brexit, and those two have been sort of conflated. 
And of course, when you have a no withdrawal deal Brexit, you immediately fall into a no trade deal uh, regime. Uh, but I, I have to stress those two things are really something different. And a no withdrawal deal Brexit is much, much worse than uh, a having a withdrawal deal and then having a no trade deal Brexit. Because if you have a, a no withdrawal deal Brexit, uh, you, the EU and the UK haven't agreed on anything. Uh, and it's not clear which rules will, will apply and, and you will have a lot of uncertainty. Now, uh, uh, we didn't talk about this, we talked about trade, but uncertainty is one of the uh, yeah, yeah, big negative economic effects because uh, if you have uncertainty, uh, yeah, these entrepreneurs uh, that are always uh, optimistic will not invest, mm. uh, they will wait. Uh, consumers will also probably wait. So you have a real uh, slowing down of uh, 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 the, the economy. And, and this is what you see in, in the UK. You see uh, that this heightened uncertainty is, is really starting to bite now. Yeah. And that was, I, that was the, that obviously raises the question of, you know, given that we've had uncertainty now since at least yeah. 2016 and yeah. maybe before, uh, you certainly see here in the UK the, the 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 dampening effects of that on economic activity, deferral of strategic investments, planning, uh, those kind of choices. Have you have you got examples of that in the Netherlands too? Um, no, because um, although the UK is really one of our uh, most important trading partners, the Dutch economy doesn't rely on trade with the UK. So. Uh, yeah, just um, uh, in fact, the, the Dutch economic growth has been um, um, higher than the average EU growth. Uh, so we're doing quite well. Um, you might see it, it's it's kind of business as usual. Maybe people in the Netherlands or, or yeah, firms in the Netherlands are deferring their investments in the UK and looking out for other countries mm. but that doesn't affect them uh, that much it, it affects the UK again more than it uh, affects us so I think the uncertainty is, uh, is, is, is really hurting the, the UK now uh, we, we did a, a calculation on how much a recession a very deep recession in the UK uh, because of a no deal Brexit would affect the Netherlands, and there was in fact very little spillover. Um, uh, the Netherlands is really hurt by trade barriers when, when there's no longer uh, trade between the, the EU uh, uh, and the UK. So, yeah, um, the Dutch economy is not that dependent on, on the EU uh, economy. Okay. So it's, it's, it's just the trade that is important. Another question, kind of just to, to kind of flip it around, do you find any sector that seems to benefit from be Brexit? Because, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking here about financial services. Yeah. There's a, a sector where uh, Amsterdam made, was one of several places that made a push to 
uh, raise its profile with the city of London and say, hey guys, we're around the corner, we're nice, come and, come and relocate to us or move some activity across. I, but is that, does that happen at all? Do you see any signs of, of where the, the, the Dutch economy might benefit from, from uh, yeah. the effects of Brexit of whatever kind? Uh, yeah, just just um, I, I remember in 2016 uh, there was some yeah uh, almost uh, politicians with dollar signs in their eyes saying ooh <laughs> come to the Netherlands you know and there was this fight between Frankfurt and Paris and Amsterdam and all these cities uh, sort of um, uh, find this this uh, financial uh, uh, sector. Um, and you do see some relocations, but it's what was first thought that there would be one big financial center in the EU, for instance, would it be Frankfurt, would it be Paris or the, uh, Amsterdam, but what you see actually is that uh, parts have moved to various cities. So it's you, you see a um, um, sort of um, uh, uh, a fragmentation. So uh, Amsterdam did uh, uh, get some large financial uh, um, uh, uh, organizations. Um, on the other hand, we have to say, well, in Amsterdam, the house the house prices are already very high. So people start also saying, well, where are we going to house all these? Everything? We don't even want them here. <laughs> we have no space. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think it's it's uh, the yes, it's nice to have these uh, large financial organizations in your country. But I think the benefit of those are uh, um, yeah, how you say that uh, overdrawn. Um, they're they're exaggerated. Uh, plus. Uh, somebody made the point, and I think that was really a, a very good point, that what you have now in London is a whole ecosystem. Uh, so you have various large uh, financial organizations, but then you have all these various um, uh, you know, services that are linked to them, specialized firms, etc., etc. And when you start breaking up uh, that ecosystem, um, yeah, the, the, you you lose those synergy effects, yeah. and especially when they're fragmented over Paris and, <coughs> and, and Frankfurt, etc. Um, that's a real loss, not not just to to the UK but also to uh, to the EU. And people say, well, the large if uh, there's another large financial sector uh, or or a hub. Uh, emerging, it's not going to be the e in the EU. It's going to be in Asia, probably. So, yeah, I think just people have gotten their hopes uh, much uh, too high. Mm. So, um, yeah, looking at benefits of Brexit for the Netherlands, yeah, I, I find it really hard to find any. <laughs> and there's also some Schadenfreude feeling like. Yeah, uh, um, I think it's it's um, it's it's a cost not to the UK but also to to the EU. Yeah. Okay. Um, just a couple of last thoughts then. Um, do you think the Netherlands is prepared for Brexit? 
You know, occasionally I see uh, news stories about monster. yeah the Brexit monster, this blue <laughs> shaggy thing that just gets in the way and people shaking their fists at it and getting annoyed. Yeah. Uh, is is a Brexit monster enough? Uh, I, I I know it's not the only thing that the, that the yeah. government has done, but uh, as a visible sign, is 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 the Netherlands ready? Uh, no, not a hundred percent. No, not yet. Um, uh, I, will, um, I don't know whether the Brexit monster helped, but uh, uh, several countries have uh, prepared, and and um, the Netherlands was quite quick in setting up a um, uh, how do you say that um, sort of information center. Everyone could ask all kinds of questions. Um, the ministries have have collaborated. They've set up a Brexit task force, and they, they are collaborating, uh, which I thought was was a wise thing to do because it's it's yeah it, it really spreads over all the different ministries. Mm. Um, so a lot of work has been done, but yeah, of course. Again, this uncertainty, will Brexit happen, will it not? Um, and some, especially for small firms, uh, are waiting to see what is going to happen. And I think this uh, may be even a wise decision because um, really investing in becoming Brexit ready yeah, is, 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 uh, um, entails quite quite. Uh, um, a high level of costs so if you're not certain something's going to happen why invest in, in, in this even if uh, even if you can afford to to invest in it in the first place yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's it's a matter of priorities but I think uh, now that brexit becomes more and more real uh, I think firms and small firms will, will start preparing. Okay. So it's 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 not a lack of um, uh, how do you say that that firms do not know what uh, what to do or or what, of course everyone knows about Brexit everyone knows you should uh, be prepared and I think also maybe because Holland uh, the Netherlands is such an open country and 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 many firms trade that uh, yeah. Uh, um, this is really something that uh, uh, that is well known. Do you have any estimates of how much has been in, has the, the cost of contingency planning? No, uh, it it depends also per firm. Yeah. Again, being an agricultural firm, if you export to the UK, it's 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 uh, a lot more than uh, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah being a, a oil exporter um, so it, it it really depends yeah I I don't think there's one um, average or one uh, um, uh, estimate of, of of costs so to, to wrap it up then um, mm-hmm. the, the, the impact of brexit is not just uh, one on the UK, but it's also one on the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, and 
the harder the Brexit, the, the more we have a no deal situation, the bigger those costs get on both sides. Do you want to advance any thoughts about how you think that does that does that play out in the the political debates? Do you you know if you're thinking about your analyses, the role that they play into Dutch political and economic debate, has that shaped attitudes politically at all? Um, well, I. Um, the Dutch government cannot do anything. Like, yeah, we cannot give any policy advice. We're just waiting sure. to see what the what the UK does, and, and we're very hoping that, yeah, if there is a Brexit, or when there is a Brexit, uh, that there will be a, a, a trade deal, and, and yeah, uh, towards um, uh, frictionless uh, trade. Um, there's been a debate in the Netherlands and other uh, EU countries also uh, on an, an exit. So there's a debate on Nexit. There's a political party who uh, wants an exit. Um, I do think that the, the whole Brexit saga has dampened those voices somewhat and that mm-hmm. people become less enthusiastic <laughs> when you think about an exit. So. In that sense, there's been a benefit of, of, of Brexit, uh, because for the Netherlands, that would be really a, a disaster. I mean, you know, it, it would be a bigger disaster for the Netherlands uh, if, if it does an exit than uh, for the UK, the Brexit. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that's been interesting, and, and I think our uh, we did not do a calculation on, on the Nexit, but just seeing the impacts, uh, um, the economic costs, uh, and also the political costs um, um, has been very informative. Um, but as a last uh, remark, uh, we've been focusing very much the whole Brexit debate on the here and the now and, and the coming years. And maybe, you know, in 2030, when yeah, when Brexit has happened and, and hopefully there's a trade deal. But I think even in the longer term, the EU without a UK uh, is a different EU. Uh, and it's got less political clout. I think it's going to be more difficult uh, getting good trade deals mm. uh, with third countries without the uh, UK. Um, so I think even longer term, lasting costs for yeah, losing the UK. And I think that has been uh, a little bit lost in, in all the hectics <laughs> surrounding the short-term uh, uh, Brexit uh, developments. Clearly. No, I think that's that's a, a useful point to, to be ending on, that we, you know, we often talk about the impact of Brexit on the UK, and, and, and that's one of the reasons I was talking about the Brexit of uh, impact of Brexit on the Netherlands. But that's also a, a bigger impact on the EU and and what it, what kind of place it is, and, and what it yeah. can do compared to yeah. the the status quo ante. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's that's a, a useful point to to ponder. Yet more uncertainty, yet more opportunity for modelling. Hedin, thank you very much for your time. And, yeah, it was uh, a real pleasure. Thanks. Okay, thank you.